Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. In May 2019, Philadelphia's ska band Cat Bite released their excellent debut album. They'd only been a band for a year, but this album was unique. Mid-tempo ska grooves with garage, rock, power pop, and soul elements, and confident in a way that suggests they'd been a band for much longer than a year, making them one of the best active ska bands out there right now. And now, two years later, they are finally releasing their follow-up and it's a huge leap forward. While the influences remain more or less the same, the execution is even better. On today's episode, we are joined by three members of Catbite, Tim, Brittany, and Chris. We ask them the important questions like, how the hell did they manage to be such a damn good band? Of all the new ska bands, Catbite's my favorite. I mean, to the point where I covered one of their songs. <laughs> yeah, you did a good job too. Oh, thanks. The funny thing is, if you listen to the hardcore recording they just put out, Cat Fight, their version of Scratch Me Up is basically just the Omnigon version. Oh, wow. But that's not the song that they brought you on as guest vocalist, though, is it? No, I jumped on a song called Midnight Eyes. The funny thing, though, is have you heard the Sneaky Feelings cover? Yeah. Everybody should go check out the Sneaky Feelings cover, as long as they have six seconds to spare. <laughs> A good hardcore song, six seconds. That's all you need. But yeah, I agree. Cat Bite is one of, definitely one of my favorite of the new bands, too. They're just such a unique blend of influences, and they're such good musicians and, and good songwriters. Totally. It's the type of music that I feel like a very 
large cross section of people can enjoy everybody from like street punks to your parents yes it's very accessible but still maintains an edge yes go show cat bites your parents <laughs> <laughs> last year 2020 was like obviously it was a terrible year i just you know dreaded looking at the news pretty much every day but there was one story that was absolutely a delight and that was when cat bite finds mannequin pussy's van <laughs> that's like the best story of 2020 yeah <laughs> i want to know the details of this story can you guys walk us through it from the very beginning like yeah were you looking for it or what was happening so that was me tim like so let me start start by saying uh my old van uh we had a van get stolen in philly once uh, about six six or so years ago six or seven years ago we like we played a show at this place called North Star Bar, and then we were too lazy to bring shit in, and like left it parked on our street. And then you know next morning, van's gone, all of our gear's gone, and we ended up finding the van, n- none of the gear, but we did find the van like only about half a mile away. It was just like abandoned, and just like they took the shit, and then they just like left it. So like, and that's kind of been like the theme with like vans getting their stuff stolen uh it's usually like steal it go for a joyride steal what's inside and then just abandon it um pretty close by and so like so then now fast forward to last year um i the the place where i work is right next to where uh, mannequin pussy practices and i've like seen their van before and like i'm like oh cool this must be a, a band van um and so there's a lot of bands that practice in that area. Um, and then they posted about it, like getting stolen on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And I was like, ah, oh, damn, that sucks. And then they like said like the general area. I'm like, Hmm, I think that's the van that I usually see when I'm like going to and from work. So I have like a pretty good idea, like what it looks like. And then like, I just like left work that night with this weird <laughs> like feeling in my brain that was like i'm gonna find that van like i I literally i don't even know how to describe it like so i was like low-key just like looking and stuff um i'm like i feel like it's got to be close by like you know they they took it and then just like dropped it somewhere nearby um so then fast forward to that the next morning i come into work and then um uh, i'm like a bike mechanic for the city of philadelphia's bike share called indigo and um twice a week I go out like on a cargo bike and I do repairs out in the field on these bikes. So I'm just biking around the city and like immediately first thing in the morning, as I'm like setting out to do this bike checking, I'm like, I got to keep my eyes open for that van. I know, like, I feel like I'm gonna find it. And like 10 minutes later, I see it just like two blocks from my work. And I'm like, no way. Uh, and they, they didn't, they didn't like post any of the details about it really. They had like a picture and like some brief description, but they didn't say like the license plate or anything. So I just like Im- immediately just like got out or just like hopped off my bike and just started taking pictures of this van. Uh, and then I just like DM'd them on uh, Instagram and I was like, hey, I think I found your van. Uh, what's the license plate? And I like sent them a picture of like the license plate and everything. I didn't hear back for hours. Um, and then all of a sudden it, it, they responded like, holy shit, that's our van. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, and then and then it just like went wild with like the public <laughs> find, find, finding out, and then like uh, Brooklyn Vegan like did an article like cat bite finds mannequin pussy's van, and like uh, there was a cartoon of us looking like Scooby Doo characters. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was it was wild. Uh, like I I don't even know how to describe that feeling. It was weird. <laughs> so tell me, had you met that band before? Did you guys know each other? Uh, not really. Um, like, I, I mean, I like that band. I love Mannequin Pussy. They're a great band. I'm, I've been a fan of them for a while and like follow them on social media and stuff. I don't think I've ever, I've never actually seen them play. I don't think maybe once a while ago. Actually, a couple weeks ago, I went to, um, like my first show. It was called Baby's First Rodeo and it's just like a bunch of different, um, kind of like country like acts and i ran into missy from mannequin pussy that's the first time i've ever met her and she came up to me and she was like you find my van (laughs) 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 and i was just like what she's like yeah you're in cat bite right you found our van and i was like oh my gosh it was crazy she just walked right up to me and said that and i didn't even recognize her at first and now you're best friends yeah now we're best friends we talked about aliens and ufo and (laughs) things like that did you just like say it's over here and they got it or did you meet up at all no i just i just like i was still working all day and stuff and i just like you know i texted them exactly where it was and uh the pictures and when i was leaving work i saw like a tow truck over next to it and like some people and i was like oh cool there they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, it still sucks though they got it stolen there was like a, a bunch of damage because it's like luckily they didn't have any gear in there because i know that feeling and it's absolute garbage to just all your gear just disappear yeah that's definitely the worst part of a band getting their van stolen is if all the gear is in there and because most times you're right the the van will get recovered and it's the gear that gets pawned off yeah so when is the mannequin pussy camp bite tour that would be so sick i i would love to do that That would be awesome yeah or just like a play a show with them it like it'd be a really cool fit i feel like oh yeah it would yeah it would be such a good fit they just put out um that new ep perfect and uh so good um i'm just i'm bummed because they're uh they're doing their the biggest um philly headlining show um at union transfer which is like the greatest venue in in philly uh but of course it's the weekend that we're going to be down in gainesville playing fest so i'm like damn it Uh, but i guess that means we'll just have to tour or play shows together in the future the song i'm sorry the 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 hbo show Mm. do you know what mayor of east town yeah Yeah, mayor of east town that was the weirdest thing i watched that um as it was airing and i was like why is there so much manic and pussy song songs on this show it makes no sense to me i mean it's cool i'm glad but yeah no i guess so like that was the whole reason i i heard about the show was through manic and pussy um they had like posted about it like hey we can finally announce that we're gonna be like uh, our music is going to be on this new HBO show, but like, it's, it's more, even more in depth than that. Like we are actually, our music is going to be the music of this fictional band um, called Androgynous, which is the main character's um, child's uh, band. And like, and it's crazy. Like they, they like really did their research and like actually had them like 
teach the cast how to play the songs. Wow. Because it was performed by the cast. Um, but it was Mannequin Pussy songs. And then the, throughout it, like, there's, like, random scenes, like, where they're in a radio studio and, like, you hear, you know, Mannequin Pussy on the, on the, in the background. It was so cool. But, like, yeah, I guess the whole thing was, like, they wanted a um, cool, like, Philly area band. And they, like, put this whole, like, kind of sub story based around Mannequin Pussy, which is, it's, it's so cool. I guess if it had been Cat Bite, it would have been a little bit too upbeat. <laughs> yeah probably i love though it's like whatever like a teenage band and uh they're able to write songs as good as man and pussy right <laughs> yeah. now it's like no that's yeah. too good for a band that age so you mentioned your band the snails yeah was that your band or were you just a member of that band i was just a member of it i so that band started uh when i was in eighth grade uh and it was all us like in high school. Well, I wasn't in it at first. It was this guy, Todd, who I'll eventually let you know. He's the one that like introduced me to ska. But um, I actually tried out to be their drummer in eighth grade. And I had a rehearsal and they apparently they were making fun of me after it because I was really bad. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but yeah, they were like the cool, like it was a very conservative, like terrible area outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And they were like the only like, cool punky ska whatever people um and eventually i just like became best friends with the with them and then i learned how to play guitar to be their rhythm guitar player uh senior year of high school um and then i was just kind of like i just played rhythm guitar and like backup vocals but i was like the like the boss and yeah i did that for about nine years so cat bite comes out of you like leaving this band or or what happens yeah, definitely. Um, I was like kind of over that band for a while. So we had, there was just a lot of drama. Like uh, we, we ended up having to change our name uh, because of oh, a bunch of shit. Um, and like, also we were kind of changing our sound. Um, we started off like in high school, it was like a ska punk band, like ska rock and roll, actually kind of close to like what Catbite is. Um, and then like, then we kind of just gravitated toward be, to being like strictly like traditional you know, ska, rock steady, reggae, like very like 19, like just mimicking the 1960 sound with like a little bit of soul elements. And then it just kind of kept moving over, farther and farther away from ska and more like garage rock. And just, it, it just, it was kind of just like leaving the ska scene and like in a weird way. And I just kind of like, I don't know. I, I always just kind of felt like I was just like the, you know, fifth wheel in this band because like everyone else did most of the writing and I was just kind of like, they would tell me what to play and I would play it. So I didn't do much writing, um, even though I wanted to, but they were all like really good musicians and I was just like, uh, just tell me what to play. But um, yeah, I finally like after like two years of being in my head about it, I'm like, all right, I'm going to quit. Like, and then like we played our last show with the pie tasters in Philly at Kung Fu Necktie in like uh, February of 2018. And then I started Cat Bite in May of 2018. Okay. Did you have a vision for it pretty quick or 
Not really. I like, I just, I quit the snails, which we, at this point, we're, we're called the dull blue lights. I have a quick question. Did you change your name because of the, the other snails? The, the band, the Future Island guys, was that why? Or? Yeah. So basically the whole thing behind that was uh, that band popped up because it's like a side project of Future Islands was called the Snails. They like popped up uh, like a couple years ago, like before before we it was anything. And I like messaged them. It was like, hey, you know, we're the Snails. Uh, could you not do that? Like, you know, because like it was they're from baltimore they kind of played like reggae rock it was very like in our market and it was just confusing and we couldn't actually get a trademark for the snails because um there's some italian band called the silver snails which had an american trademark and we it was too close maybe if we like had a bunch of money we could have got it but basically we just had to tell this future islands the snails that you like can you please just not like right when they started and then the guy got back to me right away and he was like like, don't worry about it at all. It's it's just like a little um, thing that we did for our friend's birthday party. It's not going to be a real band, all that, whatever. I'm like, all right, cool, cool. And then like two years later, they put out a full length album <laughs> and started touring with it. Not only that, they they named their album so similar to what you what the snails album name was. Yeah. And so I messaged the guy again. I'm like, hey, dude, like, what's the deal? Because it, it got to the point where, like, every day I was getting emails, like, for press or, like, you know, sh- booking shows and stuff. But they wanted that, the snails. And it, it was just like, you know, our, our internet presence was, like, just going away. Because it's like, Future Islands is a huge band. So, like, yeah. their side project is going to obviously be pretty big. Um, and the dude basically told me to fuck off, which sucks. Um, and there was nothing really we could do about it. I kind of wanted to be like, to like fight it and like kind of go public with it and just like, be like, Hey, like, like this, at this point we'd been a band for like 12 years. I was in the band for about like seven years at this point, And then like, yeah. And, uh, yeah, basically no one else in the band wanted to like fight it. We're just like, let's just change our name because at this point we were kind of changing our sound anyways and it was very less it was kind of like a new rebrand um but yeah basically we did the rebrand it was just weird energy and i just like i just had to leave for my like mental health basically um and then yeah just like uh after leaving and like i was i was in this other like uh power pop band uh called the up up ups at the time it was just like a cool philly like local thing we weren't doing anything too serious just like sounded like you know 77 punk rock um and that was like when i had actually started writing music for myself was in this band because it was just like very low pressure punk rocky stuff and so after leaving the snails i'm like this is weird like i'm only in this little band it's not really gonna go anywhere has no intention to do it and like the snails i was writing it out like we're gonna make it like this is you know i dropped out of college to be in this band you know i spent my life savings on a van to be in this band and like after all that to just like stop um that's when we kind of started brainstorming Catbite. i asked before if you had like a vision for it but you said no not really but um what was it like at the very beginning was it all four of you or is it just you and Brittany? so um I think it started off with uh, Britt and I, um, like, she's obviously, like, a great singer and stuff, and this, she was, like, 
about to graduate um, from the University of the Arts for um, jazz vocal. And like she had been in one band back when she was in Florida uh, doing like backup vocals. Yeah, I was in a like a soul funk band in, in Orlando. Um, and I, I did I was in that band for probably three years and I just did backup vocals, but I hadn't been in anything else besides like leading like jazz bands and stuff and I did like some jazz gigs around the city and things like that but um you know like no one wants to listen to jazz I guess so um (laughs) 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 so um I've I that's just like I've always seen myself as like playing music with a band and not just being like a vocalist with like a backing band kind of thing like I, I it's just been like a a dream and a goal so that I was like you know out of school and um you know my teachers were like great so now you can start teaching and I was like this isn't why I went to school like I went to school for performance art not to teach but like that was always the path that most people went and I was I don't have the patience I'm not I'm not I'm not a patient person to, to teach to teach students so um I was like nope that's not it for me I'm gonna be a performer um and yeah it just kind of aligns real really well with where Tim was at in his band yeah because like so we the first thing we ever did well actually a year before this time um Brit had actually came on stage once with uh the snails and we did like a, a rock steady version of uh Valerie the snails played my couple songs in my senior recital and um so did Chris actually. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I did, um, a rock steady version of Valerie by Amy Winehouse. Um, and it was well, by, by, the, <laughs> by the Zootons, but covered by Amy Winehouse. And, um, so I think that kind of like sparked the idea. Yeah. I feel like that was it. And we're like, <laughs> you can sing awesome over Scott. And like, like this was like traditional and stuff, but then, so like, um, Fast forward to uh, May 20, like April or May 2018. Um, we we just did like a, a random Facebook video of me and Britt uh, doing uh, Little Richard's um, Miss Anne, which is like a just like basic 12 bar blues song. But we did it like in a cool like uh, skinhead reggae, like kind of agri-lights soulful feel. And she was just playing keys and I was just playing guitar and we were both singing and we just like posted on on facebook and a bunch of people uh especially like people that i've met from my nine years of touring with the snails like people were like oh shoot tim doing sky with his uh girlfriend who has an awesome voice and it just like immediately we got a, a really good response to it and i'm and like i had also uh uh my friend johnny who was our original bass player. Um, he was working with me and he was in a very similar situation where he had just left a long time band and was looking for something. And he's like a big ska dude, big on like two tone, um, stuff like that. And I was just like, Hey man, you're a great bass player. I'm trying to start a ska band, I think with Brit. And he's like, all right, cool. And we would just like be working together. Just like <laughs> kind of just like listening to just random Scott and be like, Oh, th- let's kind of like do like this or like this. And we were just kind of like listening to a lot of, a lot of two tone, um, 
I, I, I remember uh, there's this band called The Pomps. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They're um, a Boston band, and it, it's got dudes from uh, a bunch of different bands, but it's uh, Alex Stern. Um, it's his band. He's uh, in the Void Union, Void Union, and he plays in Westbound Train and Big D also right now but it's like his solo thing and it's it's really cool like 80s power poppy ska which is like i i've just like i've loved that band so much and like i was like i just want to do something like this and like just power poppy but like rootsy and just like i don't know just pull from everything and like we didn't really have anything really in mind other than like just listening to a bunch of stuff and be like maybe we'll cover this maybe we'll cover this maybe we'll do a ska version of this exploding hearts song or something like that um and then eventually (laughs) the way this band runs is on deadlines we just make deadlines before we like have any idea what we're going to be doing um and so it was me Britt, and johnny and we'd we'd have like we'd had like three practices at this point with um, this one, um, dude, we wanted Chris to be our drummer. Chris has always been like, we, we want Chris, like, you know, Chris is like me and Britt's best friend for so long. Uh, and he's an incredible drummer, but like hit just right off the bat. He's just like, I'm in so many bands right now. I'm not going to be able to commit. I don't know if he'd like, you know, he probably just also didn't like know how serious we were. Cause you know, everyone talks about like, I'm gonna start a band. You're going to be our drummer. But yeah, we eventually just like booked, um, a day at our friend's studio to record three songs, uh, two covers and original. And we (laughs) tricked Chris into showing up and learning the songs that morning in the studio. He didn't really, he didn't really trick me. I said, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, So this is where I remember it. This is where I remember it just a bit differently. Okay. Let's hear it. When Tim and Britt had the idea for Catboy, and I don't even know if it had that name at that point. They reached out. It did. Okay. Well, excuse me. Uh, (laughs) I had the name before we had anything done. Right, right, right. Yeah. Damn you, Chris. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm in other room. I will fight you after this. Uh, uh, But so he had, you know, approached me and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about starting this ska project, and I have played in a lot of ska projects. Some." with some notoriety, some with none over the years. And I love all the different facets and different styles of ska. And I grew up playing all the different styles. So I was, this is how I remember it differently. I said, yeah, sure. But I'm also in five different bands right now. So I don't know how much time I can, I don't know what you guys are looking to do. But if you're open to like being flexible when I do have the time, I'll do it. And that's when I think they tried to go. They tried to find a drummer who was a little bit more available than being in five other bands. So, if I re- remember correctly, it, it went through a couple of different people that they had either auditioned or played with, and um, it just didn't work out. And yes, like Tim said about having deadlines, uh, I was in 2018. I attended the uh, Supernova Ska Festival because I had just formed a project in Philly uh, with Adam Birch. It was Adam Birch and the Versions. So I helped Adam start that band and I was drumming in that band and getting back into the ska realm. 
Um, and Tim and Britt came to Supernova just to hang out. And it was what after one of the nights of Supernova, we're sitting in the hotel room. And, you know, I think it was Saturday night when we were leaving the next day. And they said, um, hey, we have studio time booked on Tuesday. Um, would you want to come and record three songs? And I said, yeah, of course. Of course I'll come re record these songs. And then we're, they were like, okay, cool. Um, when can you rehearse? And I was like, well, I can't. Uh, I don't have the time. I, you know, as soon as we get back from Supernova, I have work and whatever. And I said, don't worry about it. I'm sure we'll be fine. Let's just go record. So without ever having rehearsed, and this, this is also a very prevalent theme in Catfight is uh, lack of being pre prepared, but still making it awesome, which I don't still don't understand how, how we do this as often as we do this. Uh, so we get to the we get to the studio and you know our friend uh james riley very awesome um sound engineer and recording engineer in uh philly area you know he's doing his sound sound engineer thing and setting all the mics up and doing all that and i just grabbed a piece of pen and paper and i said okay what are the forms of the songs just and i just wrote all the forms okay intro verse chorus pre-chorus bridge what have you and we never rehearsed it and we went through each song once, and then I just said, hey, roll tape. We'll get it. And in one night, we recorded those three songs without ever having rehearsed uh, and with me signing on just a few days before. And we were really happy with the way it came out. So, you know, in at the end of that day of recording, um, and Tim knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, <laughs> Tim, Tim, Tim looks at me at the end of the recording and was like, um, hey man, just so you know, we have um, we have a show in two weeks, so you have another, <laughs> you have another, you have like another four or five songs to learn, and then we'll play the show. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think we might have rehearsed <laughs> once. We might have rehearsed yeah. once, once or twice after that, and then we played the first show. And Tim's like, wait, yeah, so you're in you're in the band, right? And I was like, yeah, 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 you got me. I'm in the band. Let's <laughs> let, let's let's see what happens. And that's Ooh. how I joined Catbite was. Yeah, I'll come record with you. Hey, we're playing a show. Okay. Chris, th those other five bands that you were in, are you still in any of those bands? I scaled it back a little bit. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I, I guess currently I would say I am in, let's say four different projects, but some of those projects are very seasonal and they kind of occur at the same time each year so i'm able to plan around it um but no there was like there were two uh, it's like a weird gradient for me uh i also like went to school for jazz and um you know grew up playing punk rock and ska and reggae and all the things and then eventually did go to school for jazz so upon me exiting school it was like there was this kind of sliding gradient of gigs that i play that i don't expect to get paid because it's fun and i'm having the most fun playing music the other side of that is gigs that I don't like the music and more often than not don't like the people I'm playing for, but the pay is really good. And in the middle where it's songs that I have some fun playing, I get paid decently for it, and that's kind of what it is. So uh, it was, I was, when I started Catboy, I think there was one or two of the other projects that were sort of passion projects that I recognized um, – the trajectory that Catbite was going and how much fun I was having playing with my friends that I had to say very respectfully and very um, amiably, uh, hey, um, 
I see that you guys are going to be getting offers that I'm not going to be able to take because Catbutt was getting more and more stuff. So I'm going to respectfully have to like leave this so you can find somebody who can say yes to all of your gigs. And because that's essentially what I wanted to do for Catbutt was to be able to say yes to all the things that were going to come down the road. Nice. You guys do pretty well pretty fast, it seems like, in terms <laughs> of people becoming fans of you guys, of you of you becoming a, a more known band of the ska scene. Where do you feel like that begins? Was it does it start with um your record with Bad Time or does it come before that? I feel like the uh the big first push with Catbite is just like uh my relationship uh with the like ska scene that like all around like so just you know I I've been t- touring and playing ska shows for you know, a long time. And like a lot of people liked my old band, the snails. And then I also played with Sammy K um, when he was doing Scott, which Chris also played and also Ben, our bass player. Uh, but like, yeah, I've just like done a bunch of touring and just like made a bunch of friends in the scene, like whether it be like the traditional scene or the Scott punk scene. And that's, I mean, that's originally how I, how I know Mike and why he hit me up about um, bad time records starting um i mean it it was definitely like just great timing all around because like right when we we put out those three uh first recordings it was um we did a cover of street feeling by the selector we did a full band version of uh miss san uh by Lil richard done like in a reggae style and then our very first original come on baby which we redid on our uh lp um yeah and he, he so mike uh saw those and like we were like kind of just talking casually like what should we do with this band should we like record an ep like a record should we record something and shop around like we had no real trajectory and then out of the blue mike uh hit me up and told me like you know uh i'm starting this record label it's all like ska and ska punk um i'm gonna run it like my hero mike park from asian man records runs his like that's the whole thing. It's just going to be like a, like a community. And I want you guys to be our first, like uh new release. Cause um, we were the third release on bad time records, but the first two were uh, re-releases of killing and, and we're the union. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of just like put us right on track. Like, just like, all right, now we have like a game plan kind of, I mean, it was still such a baby. Um, you know, label and we were still such a baby band, but like just the connections we've made like along the way, I think a lot of people just like, uh, just like trusted me with like new music, like a new ska band. I think, I think one of the things as well as sort of an outsider look kind of looking in with the snails was that you were kind of the face of the snails. And when people thought of the snails, they most likely thought about you because they were you were going to be the person that they were going to interact with, whether it was booking, whether it was the on-site person. So people associated the Snells with you. And I think when the Snells changed their sound, I don't think that sat well with some of the ska um, folks around the country. So I think another thing that really kind of like catapulted us, as well as the fact that me, Ben, and Tim have been playing ska and like have put in the work over the years of playing in all the different bands and knowing the styles and paying it its proper homage was that I think a lot of people, when they saw that Tim was putting out a new ska thing, 
they were like immediately just stoked to see Tim doing ska stuff again because it at that point it had been like two two and a half years and I I I, I feel like I saw that like just people being like oh wow you're doing ska again that's so great and a lot of people took notice. I think one of the interesting things about you guys and you know I think maybe you know my experience with you guys and maybe other people's experiences you you're if you're a fan of ska you know bands have different influences but there's also certain influences that have become overused and then you hear a band that's like well we're not ska punk and we're not traditional ska but we do you know like rock and roll garage rock it's different it's different influences than like is normal or that's not not very common so it immediately takes your attention as like whoa this is this is bands doing something different and then then on top of that you hear the how good you guys are as musicians, how, how great of a singer Brittany is, and the songwriting and stuff. So, yeah, thank you. The initial grab, though, is the like, oh, these are different influences. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's definitely like just always been our approach to this band is like, we don't want to sound like a band that is out there already. We just want to, you know, write music that we want to hear that's new, that's different, that's pulled from the stuff that we like to hear. And like, at least personally, like me, when, like with our songwriting process, like most of the songs I write, I write them as like power pop rock and roll songs. And then I just use my like knowledge and love for like, you know, two-tone or like traditional ska and rock city. And I just like kind of take it back. And then just like, you know, we just kind of find wherever it fits on that like spectrum of all those influences. And it's, it's just cool because like sometimes I'll write a song and I'm like, I expect it to be like, um, cause they, they start off like rock and roll and then like, I'll be like, Oh, this song's probably gonna be like a slow, like jam, you know, reggae. I feel like, and then we'll do it full band and we'll try some stuff. And it's like, Nope, this is going to be a ska punk song or like, <laughs> Nope, this is going to be like, you know, rock steady or like spooky. So I don't know. It's just cool. And just, it keeps it fun for us keeps it fun for the the fans um and our friends like yeah there's just yeah we just kind of do what we want and have fun with it yeah i think our motto has and for me personally but i think um collectively as a band was uh to play whatever we think to play whatever we uh feel is appropriate to not really get pigeonholed into well this is this sort of song so it has to have this sort of part or it ha- this song has to have this sort of part to fulfill this sort of weird obligation to be this kind of song so when that kind of goes out the window it really does like open us up to not only be creative but also to be open to any sort of possibility of, of any sort of idea to contribute to a song not every each song doesn't need to like have a, a, a list of qualifications that it needs to meet. It's just very much open in how we all creatively contribute into the songwriting process, which is, is something that it, I have rarely been a part of. And it's very, very refreshing. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I think also it's, it's really, um, it's really refreshing to be like in a group with, you know, a bunch of really rad musicians, but also, you know, we've all got our own ideas, but it's super awesome because no one is like, 
stuck on like at night like if this is their idea it's like that's it it's got to be this way like everyone has a say everyone like can put forth like you know what what they think maybe towards that idea maybe they maybe it really doesn't work and then we all agree that like yeah let's not do that I think it's it, it just I don't know it, it it works really well between all of us yeah yeah, basically, like, the way I think about it is, like, Catbite is the band that's a result of learning what not to do in, in like, bands. Like, in my, you know, <laughs> 10, year, 10 years of playing, 10, 11 years of playing bands, it's, like, because, like, I would, like, in, in the Snails, like, I, I didn't really have a voice. I just kind of, I would, you know, I would make some, I would write some of my parts and stuff, but, like, I wasn't really, like, part of the songwriting process. It was, like, Basically, we uh, our singer Todd like basically wrote the song as like full, and then we just like came and he's like, "It's gonna be like this," and then we did it like that. Um, it, it just I don't know. Whereas like Kappa, it's literally like everyone has a say, and everyone just makes it a Kappa song. <laughs> I want to back up really quick just for a second, since you you said that you had the name before before you even had the band. Yeah. Where'd the name come from? Um, so back when I very first started writing music for myself, um, uh, like for the longest time, so I learned, I, I mentioned before, I learned how to play guitar to be in the snails. Um, I ended up getting grounded for about two months uh, senior year of high school. And Tim, why did you get grounded for two months? Why do you get grounded? We need to know. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mom found out that I used to smoke weed. Yeah. So I got I got grounded until my 18th birthday was which was about two months. Uh, so does she, does she still think you used to smoke weed? I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I think she's fine with it now. So uh, my friend Todd, the singer of the Snails, he uh, wrote all the chords to the all the Snail songs and like showed me how to play bar chords and basically just like gave me this shitty guitar. And that's all I did. I just, I would, cause I didn't have phone. I didn't have internet. I couldn't go anywhere. I would just go to school and then come home. And all I had was this piece of paper with all of the snail songs and the chords. And that's just like, I taught myself how to play guitar that way. Just rhythm. Like I didn't play a, lead, a guitar lead until probably for another like five years. I just like, I had no real like ambition to learn guitar. I was just like, I'm the rhythm guitar player in this band. I'll do what they tell me. Um, and that's it. Like I, I didn't, wasn't learning songs of my own. wasn't practicing just like, I don't know. It was like a weird approach to guitar. Um, I just basically knew what I had to do for the band and that was it. And then um, a couple years later, like I finally started to like, actually like think about writing music for myself. Um, Cause I was just like very like self-conscious about it. Uh, actually, um, Joyce Manor is the reason why I started writing songs uh, like for myself. Uh, I got introduced to self-titled by Joyce Manor and just like, I just remember listening to it nonstop. And that was like the first record I actually wanted to learn how to play guitar because it just seemed so approachable and like just super simple. Like I could do this. I can do these solos. And so I started writing music kind of uh, in the style of, uh, self-titled um Joyce Manor and I would just most of them didn't even have lyrics it was just like um guitar and drums and stuff and I would just whenever I would write a new song I would just put it into this iTunes folder 
or playlist that I called, or I would just name the band Catbite. That was just the name of this band. It was just basically for my iTunes. And I like always <laughs> wanted to be in a band called Cat. Like, I'm just like, that's such a cool name. Like, uh, and when I started the, uh, that power pop band that I was in um, for a couple years, I was like, can we call it Catbite? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn it. All right. So this was my next chance was with Catbite. I was like, it was basically just me, Britt, and Johnny. And I'm like, can we call it Catbite? And they're like, sure. Like, <laughs> All right, now I can now I can start writing songs. It was actually funny. So the like one, uh, the very first song I ever like started to write um, back when I was like in the Joyce Manor days was "Scratch Me Up." The music to that, um, and it sounded like a Joyce Manor song. Uh, but like the whole, the arrangement, the chords, the everything about it, except it was in that style. That was like the very first song I ever wrote. Uh, had no lyrics at all. It was just weird instrument. So it's like pretty cool to like, you know, when we were like scrambling to write songs for Catbite, I would just like pull from my like Catbite folder and be like, well, I have this like post hardcore song. Let me just make it ska real quick. And then Brit threw some lyrics on it and we're like, oh, there we go. Song. And just like, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how it worked. I'd love to hear those demos at some point, man. Adam, I think you would like like to know that I am fairly certain that Tim's previous band, the Up Up Ups, have a re- recorded version of Amphetamine Delight, which is like amazing. Two two years before we were a thing. Yeah, so I I wrote Amphetamine Delight. That was the first um, song. So Amphetamine Delight was the very first song I wrote in its entirety like vocal like all the lyrics all the music all the arrangement literally like this was my first ever song that i wrote and i brought it to my power pop band because uh we had uh this girl molly she was our singer and i just played guitar and like some some backup vocals and stuff i'm like hey i just wrote this song it kind of fits but like would you be all right if i sang it and she was like sure yeah, yeah so this was like the first time i'd ever like performed a song on stage too like and i don't know it's crazy and then um that band broke like so when we were scrambling for for uh for catbite music i was like well this song is literally all mine so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna do a ska version of it and we're gonna use it for catbite um i i didn't like really plan on recording it because i just it was just kind of like a filler uh song that we would have for like our shows and stuff because we were just like scrambling and i was just like well this song is all mine it's not like no one else in in the upper buffs wrote any of this so i feel like i'm allowed to use it and then um then the upper buffs ended up breaking up right when we were recording i'm like all right fair game but we did it's crazy though because we did (laughs) we did a proper power pop recording of it um and then we did a whole the up Buffs, we did a whole album um a couple months before we broke up and we just never released it but and if wow. it's on there it's it's cool you gonna throw that up on Bandcamp or something yeah maybe you should release it because i would really love to hear that song in a different style than ska yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah because that's never happened that's before. never yeah. been a thing before <laughs> shoot now there's four versions. <laughs> I have a similar thing. There's two songs on the on the Omnigon record that are from the band that I have with Aaron, uh, mm-hmm. Narboots. There, two of the songs started as Narboots songs, and then when we were in the studio, I just needed, 
I needed songs. Yeah. And so yeah. I just was like, oh, how about this this progression? And then it turned into an Omnigon song. I want to know about how the Omnigon Catbite split happened. Oh, I can answer that one. Okay. Yeah, you do you take this one. <laughs> I I'm I'm a gigantic fan of Catbite. And so I just I had this idea where I just wanted to what I got to back up a little bit. Link 80 hated covering songs unless a band was like broken up. Like they have this weird rule about it. I always thought that was kind of lame. I was just like, if this is a cool song, it's a cool song. Like, let's just do it. And I remember just really loving the cat bite record. And like, the more I listened to it, the more just being like, damn, this is so good. And then I was like, Oh, I had some studio time book and I was like, Oh, let's record some covers this time around. And I was like, I really want to record uh, scratch me up. And then I remember I was thinking, we were just going to do it more like, you know, ska punk op Ivy style. And Brent was like, we can't do ska on this. If the cap, I already nailed it the ska. We have to just do a straight up hardcore song. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And so we just did it straight up hardcore. <laughs> My plan initially was I was just going to redraw the Cat Bite album cover, but with Omnigon written in kind of the same <laughs> font. Oh my God. I love that. And I, and I was just going to release it as a single and just as like a, as a surprise, like, look at this thing. I like you guys. And, um, and then I, I had shown it to, to Mike Sosinski at bad time. And I think he was talking to Tim and Tim was talking about wanting to do something. And so then, Mike was like, yo, check this out. Omnigon did this <laughs> and and showed him the cover. And it's like, why don't you guys just do a split and just cover each other's songs? And then I went for it, which I was fucking <laughs> stoked on. Yeah. Did you guys know each other at the time? Not not at all. No. Yeah, I mean, we were just like it, it, barely internet friends. Like, You just I thought he was some weird guy? Yep. <laughs> yeah, we knew, we knew who you were. Uh, but like, yeah, we, we hadn't even really engaged that much online. Um, you were just like, it was like, oh, cool. It's, it's fucking, you know, Adam from Link 80's new band that's on our label. But like, I, we haven't actually had any conversations, but it, it came out so cool. How how weird was it, though, to hear your own song played by somebody like way older than you? I lost my mind. It was. Yeah, I think we all lost our mind. It was so good. Yeah, I was like shaking. When that when when you went to the when you went to to the uh, to the build up to the build up oh it's so good yeah I was like I remember listening to it first uh, at work I was at work and I like put on headphones when I when Mike finally sent it to me I'm like oh sick oh sick can't wait to hear this and I just remember like just giggling at work like oh my god this is so cool ah it's so cool I, I still love to listen to it. <laughs> Yeah, it makes you smile real big. To perpetuate the uh, the theme of Catbite working under deadlines and then never rehearsing, you were having that conversation with Mike about putting out the split. So we're like, okay, we need to get this done ASAP. So we booked time to go into a, a local studio that we've been using in Philly. Oh, right. And then when we're like, okay, we're going to do horizontal aggression. And then I guess... We had recently learned White Riot for um, uh, a cover set that we had uh, been a part of. Um, but when we went into that studio, we had not rehearsed Horizontal Aggression as a band. We just went in and we're like, okay, yeah. just, just make it work. We'll just make it work. And yeah, it was, again, another, we, we have to meet a deadline with no time to rehearse. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. I just remember like, 
I made the executive decision because I, I was like, hey, so yeah, we got to pick a song. And everyone was just like, uh, and I'm just like, all right, horizontal aggression. And then like that night, I just like sat down, learned it. And then just like opened up GarageBand. And basically what I like, what I did was like, I learned how to play it or like learn the, I guess just like the arrangement of it. And then just like stopped listening to it and just made a demo from scratch. Just like my, like just me playing through the progress or like the, the arrangement with the chords. And just like, I just did that for like four hours until I found like a cool, like new version of it. And then I'm like, great. All right put vocals on and we just that's all we had was basically like a garage band recording of me playing guitar brit singing and like garage band drums and i just sent it out to everyone i'm like what do you think of this and everyone's like cool we'll fuck with it <laughs> and then yeah we, we literally we probably practiced like i don't know yeah practiced it like four times in the studio and then chris is like all right roll it and then just <laughs> laid down a perfect <laughs> drum take and then uh yeah because we did that and another song all in one day. Yeah. It was wild. So when we recorded the original version of horizontal aggression, it was literally the exact same thing. <laughs> we, we, when we did the studio sessions for no faith, it was, we just booked studio time and I just wrote out chord changes on a big piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And then we would just run through the song one time. Be like, what do you think of that? I don't know this, that, the other, maybe do it one more time and then hit record. And so we, we recorded like, like 12 songs in like one day, no vocals, just guitar, bass and drums, but just, that was how we wrote, wrote the song. And so like, I mean, it was, it was a really freeing experience to, to do it that way. I think next time I go in the studio, I'll be a little bit more prepared. I'm getting better <laughs> about making demos and stuff, mm -hmm. but, um, but very similar to the way you guys approached it. And honestly, the, I really love that you guys uh, added some extra choruses or yeah you added some some pieces to the end that make the song much better so i think when omnigon actually plays that song live now we will probably tack on the cat by ending to the song to make it feel Aww. better because it, it makes the song flow so much better i just like pop music whenever yeah. i hear a song i'm just like <laughs> I, that's all i can do i can only write songs like in a like a pop formula which i guess is good and bad you write some John Cage shit, man. Just sit in front of the piano with your hands hovering over the keys. That'll be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just like the, I like the beginning of the cat bite video with Adam's kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> was... They did so good. Tim messaged me and was like, was like, get, can you get your kids to do this thing? And I mean, <laughs> I was like, I don't know, just cause kids are kind of a pain to wrangle. And so the part where they're like sitting down <laughs> pretending to be bummed, that was easy. But yeah. then trying to get my kid to throw the record so that it looked like a Frisbee, like that actually ended in tears. Like that, that part did not go well. Wow. <laughs> just because I was like, I, was, I had him do it like three or four times. And by the fourth time he like, he was upset, even though I wasn't mad at him. I was like, no, just do it again. Just do it again. Like, I, can't, I can't throw it right. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's fine. Don't worry. We'll use we'll use one of those. It'll be fine. Oh my goodness. Yeah, kids are crazy. Kids are crazy. They killed it. Yeah, they did good. It's gonna come up in therapy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my dad will make me throw a record. Dad made me throw a record. I mean, just just really quick on on an aside. I'm wearing the cat bite shirt with the cat heads on it today, 
And my, uh, my niece, my niece, who's two years old, came over earlier and she was looking at it and she was going, microphone, guitar. And so I was pointing to all the different things. Oh, like, yeah, drums, bass. And then I was pointing to all the different cat heads and I was saying your names. And so she was saying all of your names. Two year old voice. And I, I really wanted to stop and like, wait, wait, let me get my phone out and record this, but I don't want to ruin the, I don't want to ruin the moment. Yeah. It happened. Aww. Let's talk about the um your guys' alter egos. <laughs> cat light, cat fight, and whatever's coming next. Oddly enough, you guys did this around the same time that Jeff Rosenstock did his. Right. So you, I was, I'm assuming, assuming you had no knowledge. No idea. No idea. What was your thinking? I had the idea to do a hardcore. Um, so for Halloween last year, we did a fest um, live stream performance thing where we did a, uh, like two videos in our practice space. And we did like, like mics everything up. And what we did was uh, we did our Elvis Costello cover. And then we decided to cover Omnigon's cover of our song, Scratch Me Up. So we, <laughs> so like do it hardcore. So and it was awesome as shit. And like, so there's a video of it on YouTube of us playing it live um, for this fest um, live stream. And then uh, after doing that, I was just like, kind of like joking, but kind of not joking. Like, because uh, like, at, I was like, well, once we finish this, our new record, we're going to have a lot of time to just like dick around because we didn't know, you know, how long, how much, how much longer the pandemic is going to go. I'm like, what if we just like, Re- redo the entire record hardcore and just like put it out and just like initially what i wanted to do was just like to just put it out and not say anything about it just like put on spotify no promotion like, just the band is catfight the album catfight and the album art is our work artwork but like changed like how we end up doing it and i want to just like put it out there and then just be like Oh wow, that's weird. There's a hardcore band covering our whole album, <laughs> and just like be like super corny about it. Uh, and then uh, it was just kind of like thrown in the back of our heads because that this is also this is about the time when we were recording our second album. Uh, and then once that was all done, you know, sent to the pressing, whatever. Uh, we're like, all right, now we have all this time, and like we're blessed that our uh, bass player, Ben, he like is an audio engineer. He's amazing. So we were able to do all of that. Um, him, like he was able to do all that himself. So that's like the whole reason why we've even had the idea. Like there's no way we afford to go and record it like somewhere properly. And, um, but yeah, I, I just kind of, we were like kind of in a financial ish, you know, little hole from recording this record like flying out to LA and doing all that stuff. I'm like, what if we just did a, an acoustic record, just like Brit and me just, just play our, play the entire first record or self-titled record, just acoustic. And we call it cat light. And then just like put it on for on Bandcamp or pay what you want and like help us, you know, get some money back. Cause like we spent so much money recording this other record. Uh, and then my little Timmy brain started going i'm like what if what if we did what if we did so true it's such a thing cat bite would not be a thing if it wasn't for timmy brain it's a real timmy brain yeah timmy brain yeah timmy brain just like it just starts going all these like all these wacky ideas it's just me like just randomly like at work like working on a bike and then just like comes into my head i'm like oh 
and just like just, my note, my note, my like iPhone notes folder is just ridiculous. Just so many just random thoughts of like weird ideas, and like I'm just so thankful that like this band is down for like most of the things I say and like most of my weird ideas, um, and like has the capability to like make these things happen. Uh, but yeah, it was, I was like, let's do this acoustic record and we'll call it cat light. And then we'll do a hardcore record and call it cat fight. And just like get our friend, uh, Nicole Saltzer who did our album artwork. I'm like, and see if she can just like change the color scheme and then just put a big old L over the B and a, uh, F over the, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, so we, we did the, we did the acoustic one first, which it, so it started off just being, it was just going to be an acoustic record. And Ben, like, just, he just went to town and just started sending us, like, demos. And we're like, oh, oh, you're in it. Like, like he was like, we don't even want, like, I don't even want to do it, like, uh, Scott at all. Like, let's change all the, everything about the songs. Like, the we're going to make it, like, a whole different thing. And he, like, yeah, he arranged, like, all those songs himself, honestly, uh, and recorded it. And like, yeah, we got like a bunch of cool friends of ours to like. That project was like a snowball of it being a very. It was like, okay, we're going to do an acoustic record. Um, I guess we'll have drums and bass. Ben, luckily uh, for us, uh, has an upright bass, and I was like, okay, that seems like we're ever going to utilize an upright bass. This seems like the project, and it just it was one thing just kept snowballing to the next. Yeah. Next thing you know, we have a two, a three part uh, string section on "Scratch Me Up." <laughs> I knew, I knew a guy who who's like a uh, a very like old head Philly folk scene. Um, He's amazing harmonica player, and I was like, you know, if if we're doing this, maybe I could see if I could get Bob to come down and lay uh, some harmonica tracks, and he did, and it sounded amazing. And then it was like, okay, well, if we do harmonica then maybe we can do a lapse or a pedal steel in the song. Oh, well, if we do a pedal steel in the song, then maybe we can get our very good buddy Esteban to put keys and organs when necessary. Well, if we're doing that, then why don't we get a string section for a song? And yeah, we just were able to do it. Everything just fell into place. And it just like, we just built on like the initial structure of everything. And it came out, the end result, I think, far exceeded anything that we were ever expecting. Oh, 100%. To come from a Timmy idea to, like, what the end result was, we're all like, what? What? How did this happen? Yeah. The only regret regret I've got is, like, calling it Cat Light. Because it's like, it ended up not being light. It's like, you know, we could have gotten way more creative. But, like, we were... I, I had the album art before we even started recording, so... <laughs> <laughs> if that's the biggest issue, I'll, I'm okay with that. I think that's fine. If you could turn back time and change it, what would you call it? Oh, uh, cow bite. Oh, Jesus, really? <laughs> yeah, right? That's not that's good. That's good. That's, no, that's... but it can't be cow bite. <laughs> Why not? Why can't it be cow, cow bite? Well, because if we did, if we ended up with cat fight for the hardcore, yeah. I just think it just, it just aligns better if it's cat light, cat fight cow bite yeah sorry i was just thinking about cows in the country like cow bite i don't know i'm just spitballing right here 
This is Timmy Brain live. <laughs> this is Timmy Brain going. It's in action. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. Yeah, so we finished it. And we're like, we had the plan of like, let's release it for Bandcamp Friday uh, uh, in April because, you know, that's when we can make some make the most amount of money. So we'll just release it Bandcamp, Fri uh, Bandcamp Friday. And then I was like looking at the calendar. I'm like, holy shit. The day before Bandcamp Friday is April Fool's. What if I made everyone think it was an, a giant April Fool's joke and then hit them with an actual <laughs> not joke. And I was like, this is, ah, it, it just fell into my lap. I wasn't even planning that. And then, so I like made a stupid post on Twitter uh, on April Fool's day and said one like, and we release one like, and we release a Yeehaw album. And then I liked it myself and just like took a screenshot of it and just like posted that <laughs> on, on, uh, on Instagram and Facebook. And then I just like, I told everyone the band like don't re don't reply to any of the comments don't like anything just let people do their thing and like so many people would just like start like immediately they're like haha nice joke and it's like uh what I'd kill for like a you know kappa eha whatever and then <laughs> then like a couple hours later I start seeing all these uh pictures posts <laughs> show up all over social media that said ska dream <laughs> I'm like, are you, are you fucking serious? It, it was because what they did was it was just like the, the album artwork for Ska Dream and then uh, a date, which was uh, for 420, I believe. Yeah, 420. Yeah, yeah, it's coming out 420. And I'm like, shit, are they really doing the exact same thing we did? And I like, I, uh, I hit up Mike. I'm like, uh, did you know about this? And he's like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know i just it felt really i mean yeah I, luckily i mean no one no one i don't think anyone really said like we copied them or they copied us or anything it was just so wild that like the exact same time the same thing yeah yeah because then i mean then yeah we released ours the next morning i like actually put it onto Bandcamp, and people were like oh wow it's real and yeah and then and then we started brainstorming the hardcore record <laughs> which we almost <laughs> didn't do because we were just running so uh like low on time and also because i was like how can we do like how can we release another album and then immediately release or announce enough like our actual real album without like overshadowing it confusing people um and and then it just I, I like almost didn't do it. And then I saw Bandcamp Friday or Bandcamp uh, sent us an email and it was like they got rid of Bandcamp Friday, which sucks because I think they should keep doing that. But um, instead yeah. of Bandcamp, Bandcamp Friday, they did uh, uh, a Juneteenth fundraiser uh, where all of their fees would go directly to the NAACP legal fund. And then I was like. Oh, all right. I'll just use that. That like it gives me an excuse, an excuse to like release a record and make some money for a bunch of great causes. And then yeah, so we we ended up donating just all of the profits that we made on the hardcore record uh, to Hearts on a Wire, which is a sick, um, really good organization uh, here in Pennsylvania, where uh, just just give resources to trans folks in Pennsylvania prisons. And we were able to raise like seven hundred and twelve dollars. Mm -hmm. which is awesome <laughs> and like i feel like that way like it, it didn't like overshadow like shadow this coming release 
it's just like a little blip on people's radar and then hit them with the boop boop. <laughs> hit him with the shibadadoo. Hit him with that with the with the new record. Let's talk about the new record. First off, let me say that it is super good. Oh, thank you. I was wondering if you, if you heard it yet. I heard it. Yeah. I'd also I'd also like to say that every physical copy of your new record has been in my minivan. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's awesome. that how they all got to to bad time. Wow. Well, you guys recorded this in LA. When when did this happen? And what was the context? So it like definitely wasn't supposed to happen. Uh we we were we had a tour booked in um on the West Coast and Japan uh for the sp- uh fall time in uh 2020, which was absolutely insane to us. And we had already bought our plane tickets to LA uh in September, and then we were just like kind of figuring out like the rest of it and then covid hit and we're like uh i wonder if we're still gonna be able to go to japan like maybe it'll be over by then and then once we got to the point where we're like where they were like you know canceling the olympics yeah like the olympics getting canceled and stuff we're like oh shoot like we're not gonna do this so um instead of me trying to get our flights refunded uh i was just like yo guys do you want to just like use this time to like fly out to LA and record our second album? Like, why not? <laughs> uh, and there's like this producer, um, Davey Warsop, who I'd been talking to. Um, I, I've been a longtime fan of him. Like he's, he's his bands are always really cool. He, he currently plays in a band called Sharp Shock, um, but he's played, he used to play in this band called Suede Head, which was like, so good like northern soul uh like the jam uh elvis costello like amazing like you know horns and keys and loud guitars but like super soul and catchy and that's when i like i, I like really gravitated toward this towards this dude and we brit and i got to meet him on the interrupters tour uh, a couple months before lockdown um uh interrupters like introduced me to him and i was like hey i'm a huge fan of yours like i love what you do and all your all your producing and stuff and we gave him our record our self-titled record and he, he he messaged me a couple like a month after that and was like i absolutely love your record like uh like i would love to produce you and he's out in la so i was like yeah this is all just like falling into place let's just write a record and then go out to LA. We have the plane tickets. Everything's cheap because we're in a pandemic. Let's just record this record and then come back. And then hopefully, you know, things will open up and then we can release it. And yeah, we, we basically started writing this record uh, like May 2020. And then um, we were supposed to fly over in September. <laughs> and then... Benny Boy, our bass player, broke his arm. Uh, well, he got bit by a dog. Yeah, no, it wasn't his fault. Uh, he, he's a he's a dog um, daycare manager and dog walker and stuff. And he broke up a fight. He was breaking up a fight. And uh, a big old bulldog just latched right onto his arm and broke it in two spots. And he had to get a, a plate put in, and surgery. This was like two weeks, three, three, three. Three weeks three before, weeks. We're, yeah, like three weeks before we were supposed to be flying to LA. Um, so we ended up 
actually rescheduling anyway. So we, we pushed everything back to November. Um, but then we also had to like cut everything short. We were originally going to be there for two weeks at least. Um, and the way we could work it with this, with this new dates, we were only going to be able to be there for 10 days total. Um, but yeah, we just like, just started just cranking out songs, uh, and just doing a lot of stuff digital where we just like Brit and I would do a, a, a basic demo send it to Ben and Chris. Like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Cause we weren't even like practicing in person that much until like uh, mid July because of the stay at home orders. So we were just kind of writing, doing the beginning of writing uh, just separated. Um, and then, yeah, we, we just, we would demo stuff full band then. And then we would just like record it like good, decent demo, send it over to Davey. Davey would tell us everything he hates about it. <laughs> and it was just like a, a whole back and forth. With, I love David. I love Davey so much. I mean, he, he had a huge part in making these songs what they are, but like, Oh God, we, we wanted to strangle him, but we love Davey so much. It, it's, it, it's just so stressful trying to like do all the pre-production um, while like, you know, in a pandemic and, we're here yeah. he's over there and like we were gonna be able to do like you know four days of pre-production there and then start recording but here it's like we literally don't have time and we ended up running out of time we didn't even get to record the whole thing in we la finish, yeah. um we had actually a covid scare when we were over there um about three days in we had just finished getting drums uh tracked and then uh davy's girlfriend got sick and we just all were just like, all right, pause, like, you know, safety first. And uh, basically we just were stuck in our tiny one bedroom Airbnb for two and a half days, just waiting for them to get results. And it turns out she was fine. No COVID. Uh, but yeah, we ended up like we had to finish um, recording backup vocals, keys and a couple other this and that's uh, here in Philly which we also couldn't, we couldn't do that for until like January, because as soon as we got back to Philly, um, the second wave, I guess, uh, hit Philly really hard and they did another stay at home order. And we like, I didn't see Chris or Ben for a month and a half. And we're like, God damn it. We have this record. That's like 80% done. We need to finish it. But we like, everything was closed. We couldn't go to a studio. We couldn't be together, but we did it. Yeah, I think the production definitely is an element that hits me. the The level of production really like shines through, you know, compared to the the first. I love the first record, but this one like sounds like it's you guys went a notch above production wise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Davy is great. He knows exactly what he's doing, and like that's why we wanted to work with him. Like he's he's not really like a ska guy. Um, he's kind of always been ska Jason. Uh, but he's just kind of more soul, punk rock, um, power pop, uh, you know, that kind of vibe. And like, that's kind of why we wanted him to produce us. Cause like, I just think it's, it's cool having like a different perspective going in, um, have someone that's not exactly not like a ska producer, um, but someone that knows Scott and under understands Scott, but also is like, you know, a pop 
producer and a punk producer and like a, a soul producer and like has kind of, you know, he just kind of brings out that other side of us and like keeps it from being too exclusive, I guess. And also on a, on, I, th- I feel like on a personal level, if in the context of our first record to this record that we're about to release, um, we definitely took a lot more time in, um, and I'm still amazed and super um, appreciative of the support that we got from our first record because I, you know, personally, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, we had put this record out and kind of at that time, it was the infancy of Bad Time and it was the infancy of our band. And while I thought it sounded like a good record, it, it I didn't give it the personal scrutiny that I would have liked or that I would have normally done because it still was, you know, okay, we're still a, a young band. Uh, Bad Time still a young label. And when I listened back to it, I definitely hear the imperfections. I hear the little flubs and flans that maybe only I would hear or a drummer would hear. Or just or like how bit. the kick drum is missing from the entire bridge of Already Gone. Sure, yeah, we can spell, <laughs> yeah, we can spell it out. <laughs> it literally got, it, it got lost and we're just like, oh, fuck it. Fun fact, if you listen to Already Gone in the bridge, I go to like a four on the floor steppers beat in the studio and it just, it's not there. It could, could not be found. There's no so, kick drum. So it's it, that's funny. Um, knowing that that's where the first record was, and again, I'm still proud of that record, I made a vow to myself and to the band that, like, obviously I'm going to be way more analytical and uh, put this and all of the mixes under way more scrutiny than I did the first record. So we all, as a band, um, with our individual instruments and then for the greater concept and context of this record really got to shape it into what we wanted it to be. I feel like the first record is uh, a really good um, time capsule of us attempting and beginning to find our sound. And this record is the arrival of us finding our sound. Yeah. And also like that, the first record, like we, weren't all like in in the same room together recording it like we did a lot of like scattered stuff like like johnny only showed up really for for base day and like you chris chris were probably there for like two days because we we recorded that entire first record in about four days of studio time um yeah it was like two full days and then like three or four half days um spread over the course of like a couple weeks and it was just kind of like yeah, like we we laid down the foundation of the songs and we're just like trying stuff and that just yeah we just kind of didn't really take it too seriously, but I mean we were still very like proud of like what we're gonna release. I think we found our way definitely in that even if uh, a particular person isn't recording their instrument on a day in the studio, that I feel like everybody feels way more comfortable and appreciates the feed and thrives off of the feedback from everybody being there to mm-hmm. be like, oh, yeah. all right, do it one more time. All right, do it one more time. And then collectively everybody knows, nope, that was the one. That was the one. Move on. Yep. And I, yeah, when everyone starts cheering, that's what this, this second record was, was everybody being there for all the parts and being like, yep, that's it. Let's go. So last record, y'all covered Elvis Costello. Yes. This record, you covered Selena. 
right? Yes, we covered Selena. Selena. Talk about that, please. That's that's, <laughs> that's Brittany. That's Brittany. That's just you, Britt? That was your decision? That was my decision. Um, so I am Latina. I grew up listening. I grew, I'm half Peruvian. Um, but I, I get my musical ability from my father. Um, he's from Lima, Peru. He had a band in Lima called Los Mustangs, and he came to America and um, went to California, and he was, like, pretty well-known in, like, the Hispanic community there. Um, and so I was instilled in a very young age um, in, like, Latin music, um, and also just, like, me wanting to you know, sing and perform was hugely because of my dad. My dad would, would like, um, he would <laughs> encourage me to write songs. So I like w one of the first songs I wrote was called I Wish Upon a Star. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I just felt like, I think a lot, I don't know if a lot of people know that I am Hispanic. Um, I think I'm very white passing and, um, but it's something that like, you know, means a lot to me and my, my, I'm Latina, I'm Peruvian and, and, and it is, you know, part of who I am. Um, and I, Selena was like definitely one of the people that I grew up listening to and, um, I, I absolutely love her. I, you know, so sad her story. Um, but I wanted to. Try, I wanted to dedicate a song, one of her songs to her. And, and you know, like Cumbia, I think is very, very similar um, in a lot of aspects to ska music. Um, so I thought it would fit really well with this album. Um, so we tried it out and it sounded so good. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited for people to hear. Um, I haven't like sang in Spanish in a long time. I, I used to be able to like speak and read and write when I was younger. I've kind of lost it a little bit, but um, I'm super stoked on it. And I'm really happy to um, pay homage to Selena. It was a nice surprise putting on the record. Yeah. It's such a good song. It's a great song. And also like we, like when Britt and I were like kind of talking about doing the Selena cover, it, it's just kind of like, like me and her kind of just like relate kind of just selena like she was you know married to her guitar player and like it was like but who's just... funny enough his name is chris perez <laughs> wait for real yeah his name is chris perez but it's spelled p-e-r-e-z whoa but yeah which is our chris his last name but uh chris is the portugal spelling really <laughs> portuguese man portuguese the portugal portugal's spelling. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah it just like felt right to do that like we we like had talked about doing it like just doing a cover of it like at, at some point and like we kind of like made the decision like we want to like always have like maybe one cover on each record and just like do it in our own style um like sneaky feelings on the first record and it, it's just cool to like you know uh just reimagine a song that you that like you really like a lot and um yeah i think brit and brit and i were just like listening to selena one day and like we should just do one of these like super cool like 
reggae and stuff and it's like well they all are like one step away from sounding like a sweet reggae song anyways and yeah right. we're, just, we're like bitty bitty bum bum it is such a good song let's just do that it's like it, it's a sing-along song in no matter what language and it just like yeah it just, oh yeah for sure and it definitely gave uh i feel like one of the the highlights of that song in addition to brit's vocals which are phenomenal um are uh giving room to esteban to work his ma- work his magic as far as oh like, obviously it being close to his cult- cultural heritage but then also him reimagining it with uh kind of like a dirty reggae skinhead reggae context what like when, mm-hmm. when i got the first uh uh mixes back when esteban had put keys on top of it i was like yup and yep that yeah, that sounds amazing yeah his keyboard solo is so sick because he he like uh he um he starts off the solo uh he starts off by quoting the uh the keyboard solo uh with uh guns of navarone um yes so it's like immediately goes into that but like a little bit different you're like okay okay and then just like kind of builds the momentum throughout the solo and then goes into just like straight like awesome cumbia like like just very it just like it gave the song its roots right there um Mm -hmm. and then yeah and then like i just like then it goes in the guitar solo and it's so cool i really like the um the drum fill that chris plays in the excuse me miss song yo right (laughs) oh my gosh he gets to flex so hard right there so that's that's like half that's like the big thing for me is um uh, knowing when, knowing the parts that you can uh, uh, flex a little bit technically, and knowing when you can't. I had a, I had an instructor uh, of one of my jazz ensembles uh, when I went to Temple University for school, and he would always yell at the drummers that were too busy all the time because when you're in school for music, a lot of it turns into a pissing contest of look how much I can play, look how fast I can play, look at all these things, and he would yell. And he would yell at all of these drummers, stop, uh, uh, stop giving me the, uh, the, uh, the lesson of this instrument in, in 30 seconds. Like, stop, like, giving me too much. I can, like, know your parts. Play, like, know the parts where you can play and where you can't. And I definitely, especially in the studio, I like to play on the more conservative side. So that way I can play a little bit more, like, technically and with a little bit more finesse live um but when we were writing excuse me miss that was that one part that i knew okay here is the part where i can just i can just rip a rip a fill real quick and it'll it'll possibly contribute to the song rather than just being too much on top of everything else but i'm i'm glad you like it (laughs) like i know that rx bandits is one of one of your favorite bands right and uh yeah i i probably can play every seagack list uh lick from their first six records they're absolutely one of my favorite bands yeah 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 so that that fill feels very much like a like a seagack fill yeah yeah <laughs> like absolutely. one of those things where most drummers end up scratching their heads yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah and i i've actually from the uh few drummers that i know that have heard that track that's the exact comment that i got and uh, I, hey, that that's great. I'm glad people dig it. You know, <laughs> Chris is really good. Oh, <laughs> hey, stop that! Stop that! You can't not air drum to it. Like now, like if you know it's coming, you're just. Gonna... 
Every single time. I'm just Garth from Wayne's World. I like the play. Exactly. During the pandemic, I feel like Catbite has been one of the bands who's been really good about staying active and engaged and uh, doing a lot of collaborating with other bands. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like, I mean, Tim, you've been, you've been doing this now for, you know, over 10 years. Right. Do you feel like, like there's more cohesion in our scene? Do you, do you see that in other music scenes? I feel like the ska scene has been really good about that. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's amazing. The the ska scene right now. Um, Like I guess like going back to like my years in the snails, like I was always kind of like, I've just like always open to all the ska bands and like, uh, you know, you run into the people that are like, oh, I, we only play like traditional stuff and like we only play ska punk. And like the Snails was like kind of in that group. It's like we are we don't really want to play ska punk shows. It, it was just like very like close. Like, I don't know, there, there wasn't a lot like we, we would play like with Kill Lincoln and stuff like that. And uh, but like for the most part, there wasn't like this weird like sense of unity. There was just kind of like blanket ska. There was like the ska punk and then the not ska punk and i just kind of became friends with like all of all of that scene and um with like i don't know yeah just like lately uh it just seems like it all really opened up and it's just like it's more family like community driven where it wasn't just like one band out for themselves it's like the amount of times i see bands hyping up other bands whether they're on their label or not like it's just it's so cool to see like just like getting out of that like music as a competition is like the best thing anyone can do and it, it like the whole bad time records family i love for that because it's just like everyone like mike doesn't isn't like hey can you please post about this record that's that i'm gonna announce everyone just does it like you know when watu announced their album like like everyone on bad time records was just like holy shit you know blowing up their social media with you know the new we are the union and it's just like so cool to see that and just like be reciprocated back hopefully to us when we announce our record but just it just i don't know it just it's so much more fun what's the status of the paps blue ribbon concept album actually uh about three or four days ago um they messaged us on instagram and asked for our address. Uh, and they said they're sending us something. Oh, shit. Which I think I actually know what it is because... Uh, they said they're sending us rats. Well, yeah. They said, we're not going to send you rats, <laughs> I promise. And I was like, sick, awesome, no rats. And then they, and said, they said, just kidding, we're sending rats. So we'll, we'll find <laughs> out. But I don't know. That was just one, one stupid little <laughs> Timmy idea that I had one day. Like, literally, yeah, we... Uh, the four of us were just like hanging out on a Saturday night and like saw that like we were having this interaction with PBR and we had already made the joke of Paps Me Up and we were like thinking oh we're all hanging out why don't we do an acoustic version of Paps Me Up just like while we're here just hanging out whatever and then got into my stupid little Timmy head and then we're like what if I hit up John, like Jonathan, the guy that makes our first record, I'm like, and see if he could uh, take out the lead vocals, and then I'll message uh, Cal, uh, the dude that did our music video, like, can you send me the raw footage, no, with ju- with just the green screen, and then uh, early Sunday morning, I woke Britt up. I'm like, all right, 
we're writing lyrics that have their fucking paps blue ribbon themed and we just like wrote those lyrics and just recorded them here sent them off to jonathan who and he just like mixed them really super quick like wow and then i got the uh the raw video of the music video that we had for scratch me up and i just like took out or replaced the green screen with like paps whatever i'm like this is the coolest thing ever like we literally (laughs) we, we turned that entire thing around and like 12 hours i was so proud of myself i'm like maybe this is how we make it maybe this is how we make it and like has paps put you guys on a playlist yet they did the first playlist uh yeah the the rat rat jams one which is great yeah yeah i I was hoping for like you know maybe that them to send us like some cool shirts or maybe some those those bucket hats yeah i wanted those bucket hats so bad started trolling them by like photoshopping the bucket hats on our pictures and like they look great yeah i saw they didn't get it though whatever <laughs> oh I, I remembered one more thing i gotta ask you yeah what's the story with the four cokes oh, <laughs> oh my god okay um oh jesus there's also a thing that is called timmy stories where should this just be its, its own podcast Timmy? yes stories? it should so there is yeah. uh, so in the in the very uh relevant theme of timmy brain there are Timmy stories. And if you spend any amount of time with Tim, and these are pr- predominantly stories that go back to his, his, his childhood and his youth and him <laughs> just being, being a young little Timmy boy. Uh, they're the most crazy, or not really crazy, but they're the most succinct thing that shaped Tim to be what he is. And when you hear them every single time, you're just like, yeah, of course, yep. of, course of course that would happen. Yep. Of course that's the thing. So they're, there are at least I want to think seven or eight Timmy at stories. Least, yeah. Don't have don't have to get into it right now. Can I tell my favorite one real quick? I think we should tell one at least the, the Boy Scout one. Yeah, no, no, no. Let's tell the the. Oh wait, I guess the Boy Scout one is the best one. <laughs> yeah, do that. One. Yeah. All right. I don't get to hear the Four Cokes one. All right. No, I'll get to there. I'll get to there. All right. Real quick, I'm gonna tell you the the one one of my favorite. You get one Timmy story. That's it. That's all you get. <laughs> then you're cut off. So I was in Boy Scouts. Um, I'm actually an Eagle Scout, which is pretty cool. But um, in uh, in Boy Scouts, there's like the honor society called Order of the Arrow. And you get nominated for uh, Order of the Arrow. And then you have to go to the like Order of the Arrow, like initiation camp out, which is like a three day camping thing where you just do a bunch of community service and stuff like that. Uh, and then you get sworn into this like honor society, but the whole thing is like for people that are like, up, um, trying to be in the order of the arrow and doing this, they're not allowed to talk the entire weekend. So you're just basically just like following orders and just cleaning and stuff like that. So the first night we get sorted into like our groups that we're going to be with and <laughs> no one called my name. <laughs> I was supposed to be there, but, I, and so we weren't allowed to talk. So I couldn't be like, Hey. You didn't call my name. So I just like found one of the groups and just like chilled with them. And then was doing the, the whole weekend, doing community service, doing my shit, whatever. Whenever they would do roll call, I just wouldn't be called, but no one really noticed. And then um, I found out Sunday <laughs> night, uh, the last day of it, uh, there was apparently like a camp wide like alert, or, I guess, or no, I don't, I don't remember when it was, but basically a uh, camper had gone missing. It turns out it was me. Uh, I was I was missing because uh, yeah, no one like knew where Tim was. 
And, but I was just like there, but I couldn't say anything because they told us not to talk. So I was just, and then that right there is the essence of the Timmy story is I'm not supposed to talk. So I just, they told me I can't, so I'm just not going to do it. And <laughs> yeah. So basically then like, uh, after like hearing about it, like hearing the count, like counselors, like talk about it, I kept hearing my name. I'm like, Oh shoot. So then I like, like wave, wave my hand and he's like, <laughs> like what? do you know where he is and then i still wasn't talking he's like you can talk dude so i was like oh that's me i just no one called my name so i just i just went with you guys and it was like a whole thing my mom was called uh it was like yeah apparently people were like looking all over the camp for me and yeah that's but i made i made it into the uh order of the arrow honor society though <laughs> Um, but anyways, back to the, the they had they had to give it to him. They had to. back <laughs> back that. to the four large cokes from Burger King. So uh, I was I was in the hospital like all day uh, for this like trial um, test drug thing, and basically I was just in the hospital for like nine hours, ten hours probably, and all I had to eat was like bananas. So I was like fucking tired of shit, and I was finally let go. And Britt was at work, and I'm just like driving home from the, the hospital i'm like fuck it we're going to burger king we're gonna get I, was, I don't know like two whoppers and like two fries and i like start making my order and then i like accidentally said four whoppers and then i was like no just it turned into four meals. yeah it ended up being like four <laughs> meals uh because then she started asking me like what my drink preference was and i'm like two I, just, I don't like confrontation and like, I hate drive throughs I hate drive throughs I feel like there's just so much pressure. If we go through a drive through I'm the one who's doing the drive through Yeah. So I'm by myself. I'm just so hungry. Cause I've been in the hospital for like nine hours. I'm like, all right, whatever. And like, she just like keeps saying stuff and I'm just like, yep. And she's like, what do you want for your sodas? I'm like, I don't know, Coke. And then like, I like pull up and I pay and it was like, it was like, Forty-five dollars. I'm like, uh. and then she's like, "You need to pull over. We'll, we'll bring you your order when it's ready." And it was like, it was like four large combo meals, and then like four large fries. So like, it starts off with the guy coming out with four large, large burger king size cokes. I was like, uh. So I just like seatbelted them into the car. And like, I just like took a picture. I was like, I was like super loony at this point, like so hungry and like, just, you know, so I like, I like took a, I guess I just like posted about it on Twitter. Cause I was just like, this is so ridiculous. And I just like posted a picture of the four large Cokes in the little Coke container seatbelted into the front seat of our car. And I don't know. Well, you texted me. I think you texted yeah, me. Yeah, I texted you a picture. picture. I was like, I fucked up. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened. Uh, I was like, why do you have four goals? Yeah. And then I like posted on Twitter and then like people latched onto it. And then I just started like photoshopping it. And like, I like photoshopped like different things and just. And it, then it got to be a bad time meme. It's crazy. That, well, yeah, but luckily we had court containers at the home, at uh, the house. So I would, I. At home, uh, I like I drank one of the large cokes, um, uh, and then the others. We had those. We had those cokes wherever they went. Flat. Yeah, but what we would do is we'd cut them with um, like regular seltzers. 
give him some some, some life, some lacroix, or like some some aha. We had yeah, we had like four four quarts. Well, three because the first one I drank. But yeah, like three three quarts of coke just like sitting in the back of the fridge for a couple weeks. Chilling. I don't like throwing stuff away either. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. Oh my god. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get episodes of the In Defense of Ska podcast and other content sent directly to your inbox. If you would like to order my book, In Defense of Ska, you can go to Amazon, request it at your favorite indie bookstore or library, or go to clashbooks.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying... Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.